You are listening to Believe, Strive, Achieve, Endurance Podcast with Diogo Custodio. If this is your first time listening, then thanks so much for coming. Get ready and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Believe, Strive, Achieve, Endurance Podcast. My name is Diogo. In today's episode, we are recovering the coaches on the couch from the last 23rd of February, where coach Kevin, Philip, Alan, and Will discuss how you can go faster on a bike. Stay tuned and don't miss anything. Have fun. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to this evening's uh, edition of Coaches on the Couch. Uh, today, we will be talking about how to go fast on the bike. And uh, as always, I'm delighted to be joined by my co-host, Alan Ward, um, one of the head coaches at China Training Harder. And um, we are also honoured today to have uh, both Will Monday and Kevin Smith, also coaches of Try Training Harder and also particularly fast athletes. That's not to say anything about Alan's speed on the bike. Um, however, uh, we've got some, uh, some interesting, interesting speed demons around, around here. So um, today we are talking about how to, uh, how to generate more speed on the bike. And um, I, I just thought I'd open this up to the panel of the coaches and just let's really have a bit of a conversation around around this when it comes to triathlon you've got two different significant um differences between people's riding uh needs and that comes down ultimately to the bike in terms of time trial versus road bike so um does someone want to kind of loosely kind of jump in and sort of say what those differences are and some of the implications not telling because he always goes first <laughs> So obviously we've got different uh, different bikes. So we can first touch on how you can optimize your road bike to go fast, and then look into sort of going onto a TT bike or road bike with clip-on bars, or then progressing onto TT bikes. But then ultimately, like looking to go fast, we're trying to get from A to B as quickly as possible. Um, in time trialing, obviously you're gonna try and expend the most energy as possible but then thinking about triathlon we've also got to run off that and how do we um, measure our efforts to maximize riding fast but then also being able to run fast off of that is that sort of what you're looking for there yeah definitely yeah. Um, i mean kevin alan do you have anything to add on to will's points around the differences between the time trial bike and the road bike and I guess obviously the, the road bike is a starting point for most people, so um, you know that's where that's where everyone will start. I imagine I, I doubt there's that many people that are going to say, "Oh, I haven't done a triathlon before. I'm going to buy a TT bike and give it a go." So um, you know, the few things you can do with the road bike are just going to be more around sort of compromises and making the best of what you've got because you've probably already got one. Um, but then obviously the TT bike. I guess more interesting, or so from my point of view, because there's you know a lot more you can play with. Obviously, the whole point is you can get in a better aerodynamic position, so a lot you can a lot you can work with. Kevin, you're a little bit quiet on the um, on the microphone there, but um, there's some is it interesting questions around um, what you can do with the road bike. Um, but before we get into that sort of point around what what can actually be done around. Um, making yourself maybe more triathlon specific or faster for a road bike. Um, 
a lot of people come into sport and think road bike is so the time trial bike is where they need to go because that's where everyone has to go but alan what what are the sort of things which people forget about when they come into the sport and they could be doing on any old bike it could be a bmx or a mountain bike or a, you know, a butcher's bike let alone a you know, super fast time trial triathlon bike uh every, uh everything from getting on to the thing to getting off the thing pretty much like it's just like it becomes it becomes an all-encompassing focus and you know i think obviously bike manufacturers have got a lot to blame for with their excellent advertising campaigns and eurosport etc in terms of avid avid athletes watching professional athletes on very shiny things it all becomes centered around the actual bike itself and they forget that somebody's got to get on it um and that the the pilot essentially, if you like, or the rider, has got to do various things that gets the bike around the course, and essentially most of that gets forgotten. And to be honest with you, that with it's all well and good having a ten thousand pound bike sitting there, but if nobody gets on it, it's it's not going anywhere. Um, so like that's super simple. Um, and it so yeah, so get get on the thing uh sit on it properly and i think that's the big thing we should maybe mention like up front is everybody go and get a bike fit that's like um just standard operating procedure in order to go fast but also um little things like being able to reach the brakes is really comfortable uh really comfortable really important in order to to ride safely so you're like getting on it being comfortable being able to hold on to it properly being able to sit on it properly um and then you kind of when you push off you need you need to know where to hold on and how to hold on um and how hard to hold on um and then you you might need to do this thing called change gear as well so knowing how to do that and knowing why to do that and the skill of anticipating when to do that and anticipation is massive when you come to cycling and then you might call come to a corner uh, and you might need to break for a corner and you might need to know how to take a line for a corner and then lots of that over and over and over again and then you might need to get off it so all of that everything between swim and run right um pretty much yeah so with the the point you raised around um how position is just so important i think it's worth just dwelling on that a little bit because it is probably if we look at our experiences on training camps and working with athletes that bike fit conversation um is is usually one of the first quarter calls which we have um and without going into the specifics around aerodynamics why is a bike fit and i know alan touched on a few points but why is having you know, having comfort and being able to hold the the brakes so important to be able to go fast surely the brakes mean the exact opposite well do you want to elaborate i think one of the fundam fundamental things from a bike fit is like we've all touched on is number one you're going to be comfortable on the thing so particularly if you're racing iron man you need to be comfortable to make sure that that bike split is going to be um, as enjoyable as possible for the duration um secondly is going to be then optimizing um reducing the risk of injuries so particularly around sort of like your knee um with like saddle height um and then also like the reach so 
that's also going to be important for sort of like your lower back and your back and being able to reach the brakes, which is quite important in terms of safety aspect. Um, also, um, one thing to sort of think about is sort of like bike handling and being able to sort of be comfortable to take your hands off the bars and take a drink or take some food, which is also going to be important with getting around the course. And then that's sort of deviating away from bike fits. But um, yeah, there's I a think, couple of things. I think bike handling is a really, um, a really, I mean, we'll definitely start. Let's, let's open that can of worms because, uh, I mean, triathletes, as every uh, cyclist knows, and Kevin can uh, jump in and uh, argue one way or another, but as every cyclist knows, cyclists, uh, triathletes kind of can't handle a bike and it's uh, all really risky. And I think we would all slightly disagree with that. Um, but there is some element of, of um, truth in the point that actually you need to be able to handle a bike in order to go fast. You know, if you if you don't if you aren't comfortable on the bike, you haven't got the confidence on it. Uh, it's not you know if your lower back's hurting after only forty five minutes, you're probably not going to spend that much time on the bike. So your skills have got less of a chance to get better. Um, but Kevin, I mean, where where you're fortunate to to live, you have a I guess it's an interesting thing because you can see people going up the hills. Uh, I guess. To clarify, Kevin lives at the foot of Alpe d'Huez uh, in France, and um, you know Kevin can see the, the people go up the hills and say, "Oh, wow, fantastic! You got you know you're very strong on the bike." But the speed's not just about that strength; it's also about that ability to handle. And uh, aside from those people who can close their eyes and just go down a hill and actually have no skill, but somehow they get lucky and they end up at the bottom in one piece. Um, you know, how would you define that sort of skill or bike handling, or how would you look into it and developing a an athlete's bike handling skills. Um, you're not, I can't hear you now with your new speakers. I'll go, I'll go for sharing something while Kevin has a go. Like okay. from what, I, from what I said there, the, like the grip in the handlebars bit, that's one, it's very difficult sometimes as an experienced rider or even as a coach to, to recognise some of the um, the really simple things that that a novice rider can find, or not not sorry, it's just that they don't know. And I think there's some things when you know, and, and joking aside, between the detail of getting to the swim to get into the run, there's a lot of finesse to riding a bike that can be overlooked because of the distraction of the shiny object that you're sitting on. And, and actually, it's something that you, you only really find about by by riding with others. And that's that's something that's actually quite tricky, obviously, well, obviously at the moment. But we don't we don't tend to expose ourselves easily to especially in triathlon to riders that can really handle a bike. I've been I've been fortunate in my working experience to work with junior elite athletes and to so, you know, and just like personally taking part in road racing. I mean, Kevin's a good example of uh, somebody who showed me, showed me how to go around a corner. Um, so unless, unless you kind of know that and then you go, oh, right. Okay. So it is possible to go that fast around the corner and it's mind blowing when somebody does it in front of you. But if you're not aware of that, then it's super hard to to work out that you need to improve it. You get what I mean? 
I guess uh, with currently a lot of people staying indoors either through winter training um, yeah. or simply because they, they're not willing to go outside at the moment with the pandemic going on. Um, we're going to have, as we have pretty much every year, um, the, we, we're going to have a situation where cyclists or riders are less comfortable outside because they spent even less time outside than they would do normally. Um, so what sort of things can, can people do um, for, uh, you know, for improving their bike handling? Go on then, Will. Well, um, kind of depends on the amount of time you've got available to ride in daylight hours. So obviously if you're working uh, standards sort of nine to five or during the winter months, your sort of daylight hours and your training time is going to be pretty much mostly in the dark. So you're pretty much relying on indoor training um, Monday to Friday if you don't work weekends. Um, but there's also things that you can do indoors like investing in some uh, rollers which require a bit more skill than just plonking your bike onto a fixed turbo position and jumping on and focusing on pushing the, out the power. So that's one sort of variation you can do is incorporate some rollers um, I personally have never ridden on rollers and I think it would go badly. Um, <laughs> uh, so we yeah. buy tickets for that. <laughs> go for it. We all know my track <laughs> record. So uh, <laughs> anyways, um, yeah, it's going to require a bit more concentration to staying upright. Um, so you can progress that by putting the rollers in between the doorway. Um, so then you've got support either side if you... Um, need to come to a stop or you're going to lose balance and hopefully you don't end up crashing into the door um, and then you can progress that to just having like support one side maybe even like a sofa or something so you get a soft landing if you do come off um, and then I'm sure there's steps to progress from there but I've not got that far I'm sure Alan may have some experience on rollers with like the juniors or himself um, and then the other thing is just like trying to maximize Riding at the weekends, if possible, um, invest in some good winter kit uh, if it's raining and just sort of suck it up, really. What are you going to do if it's raining on race day? You need to have experience of riding in the wet and that comes into bike handling as well. Definitely. I think that's a really good point. Go on, Philip. As I say, that's a really good point. That um, you know, un Unfortunately, we, we live in a country where the summer is not guaranteed to be boiling hot and lovely. Um, and uh, a big part of being able to, to race is to race in all conditions and be safe riding in all conditions. And if you're safe, then you're going to be able to be fast. So, yeah, I think just because the weather's not good, um, within reason, definitely, if it's blowing a hurricane, maybe it's not quite so safe. But, yeah, if the, if the weather's bad, then you need to be comfortable going out in yeah. those conditions so you can gain that experience. And, and as Alan said, you see someone go around a corner and you know, oh, actually, you can go that bit faster. And if you're doing that in the rain as well, and again, it's safe, then it's an opportunity to, to improve your, your handling skills. Yeah, it's just about broadening experiences. Um, like riding in the wet, if you've never read, ridden in the wet, that's a good example. If you've never ridden on the rollers, it's an opportunity to broaden your experience and learn something. Like the, the rollers are super, uh, you know, super tricky. I've got one of the age group athletes that I'm working with is, is currently using them because cause he works ab abroad still in the current existence and it's in Norway and it's rather icy out on the roads and lugging a turbo trainer to Norway and back every so often is not really useful but 
the local shop had some rollers and it's something that's you know super easy to take back and forth um the the other thing as well is just like other aspects of cycling so when we can like track cycling cyclocross gravel riding mountain bike you know you only have to hire them and have a go and you can you can learn a great deal I think the other thing that is is really useful that we we have in this country is closed closed road circuits. Um, so I know like places like Odd Down in Bath, um, Torbay have a Velo Park. I know, uh, I think it's Farnham Triathlon Club that that we've done some some camp work with. Use a, a local go kart track for their for their club sessions, and just by riding around in circles and following people. And in that inner club or group environment, obviously you'll get a mixed ability. So it's great, great for the the newer riders and the olders alike, older riders and more experienced riders alike to to be able to observe each other. And every time you go through the corner, it's an opportunity to work out how to do it better. Um, and that that principle of things works really. It might seem really dull riding around in circles on a, on a on a bike circuit, but it's actually super interesting because it. If, if you want to improve, you're going to be engaged in that and thinking about it. Um, and, and that principle carries across to the road. We all go out and do these lovely rides, but we never really do any deliberate practice. And you can easily ride around a local loop. And, you know, the same with swimming. If you get in the pool and you don't think about what you're doing, if you always just get on your bike and you don't think about what you're doing, then you'll probably yield the same results. And like part of riding fast is being confident as well. So by experiencing riding in the wet and knowing that you're comfortable doing so, you're going to feel confident on race day that if it is raining, you can still perform. Um, again, with confidence coming into like Alan talking about riding around a track, if you're going to this track circuit once a week and riding around um, multiple laps within an hour session, let's say, over time you're going to pick up confidence riding around that circuit so you'll be able to go faster and faster and push the boundaries on the corners etc um yeah it's just pushing your comfort zone as well and obviously it gets to a point where you may experience a crash or something um which pegs you back a bit but then again it's just getting back out there and building up that confidence again um obviously it'll take a bit of a knock if you do experience a crash or an accident um it's just not being put off and getting back out there and building that confidence back up over time and again incrementally pushing uh, your boundaries your comfortable boundaries the um the the hill or hill reps as well are a really good example of that because it allows you to deliberately practice one route um you know up and then down and if you've got one which is a little bit technical um as will you just said if you know that route really really well you know the course um you should you should build that confidence on that corner and then you can mm. say oh i can go a bit faster and you, most people time the ups um obviously they say oh well, they did that rep in this time but if you're also including the downhills you can start seeing if you are actually getting faster um and pushing those boundaries and pushing the limits and sort of see how how you um how you go and i think that's a really that deliberate practice over the same route is a really good thing to try and do yeah, and I think we can all speak from experience being out in Portugal and riding the same week, same routes week on week. And we get athletes come out that do do display really good bike handling skills, but just from us riding those routes day in, day out and them 
riding it for the first time um yeah we can sort of show better but better techniques just on those routes even though they they may not they may be better bike handlers than us yeah i was going to say that's that's the thing we're up we're all actually terrible at riding the bike it just makes us look good because we know where we're going <laughs> i guess that familiarity of the route is a really good point to raise in a race situation if you want to race faster if you know the route yeah. you're going to be able to take that what is blind corner a lot better and quicker and you should be um you should be back in the uh in the race again so um so yeah i think uh, that knowledge and familiarity is really really key i mean we, we've spoken a lot about that bike handling aspect of um training and uh i guess how much i mean how much would you say peg a guess and how much time how much savings what what sort of percentage gains are we talking around from that bike handling having knowledge of the course being able to actually ride the bike fast i mean there's the point of worrying about max speeds if you can't even hold i know 40k an hour on a downhill because you're scared of it your race speeds are going to be far you know if you want to go fast you need to get used to it so i mean it, it massively depends on the course so like I think the fairest way to like obviously because obviously on any course that has any flat in it or any uphill in it, then other factors are gonna come into come into question, come into the question. So the the only way to actually measure this is the old no chain test. So to to go to the top of a hill and take your chain off and see who gets to the bottom first, and obviously equalize each other for weight and ballast. And uh send everybody send everybody down the hill i mean where obviously that's that's huge um i mean even like i've done with like the with the juniors before we do like a a, a what's i don't know what to call it but it's like a shuttle run but on bike so up to the first cone and back up to the second cone and back up to the third cone and back up to the fourth cone and back and that's not done individually that's done as like a group of four or five all dive bombing so you've got you've got to be real quick off the line because you want to be able to pick your line into the corner and the first person into the corner is going to go through the fastest because they're going to have to break the least with the constantina effect and then you've got the acceleration out or you've got the person who can die who is not the quickest but can get so it's really variable so it's a really difficult question to answer so i'm going to chicken out of answering it yeah I'm not going to put anything on it because it's hard to say like sort of what Alan was touching on there is like you could be as confident as as well whatever really you could be really confident on this specific course riding on your own and know it inside out but then in a race scenario put you around I don't know 100 other athletes it's a different sort of you may not be as confident in that scenario so it's hard to yeah really say. I guess I'm hoping Kevin's uh, microphone finally is working again. But I guess I, I Kevin, don't know. I'll just jump in. Can you hear me? Now? Yeah, yeah, you can do. Yeah, that's perfect. I, I guess you you've got some like uh, insight into that because you would ride to the top of a hill like Alpe d'Huez, and then you've got a particularly technical course going down. You know, if you if you have a, a very varied group, you're going to have a real degree of separation. So. Yeah, I mean, it can be massive. I mean, I suppose you, that's an extreme example. And if I pick, you know, the fastest person I've seen down there versus the slowest, it's literally twice as quick, you know. Um, so that's, yeah, you wouldn't expect that in a normal race, but, you know, you could certainly expect 
someone who's fast on a technical course with the sense to, to get you know a minute or so probably um, over someone who's who's very average. What's what's the actual time difference on coming down the Alp, Kevin? Uh, so really quick is about twelve minutes. Um, <laughs> Blimey, that's not, that's like bonkers quick though. <laughs> Um, I suppose, and, and hopefully on a closed road with no cars, because it wouldn't be very wise to take those risks on a public road. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Probably, probably not at that kind of speed. I mean, I'm yeah. thinking, you know, the fastest I've seen in Strava, which was probably totally dangerous. But you know, you could say more reasonable, very fast, 15 minutes, and someone who's actually a bit scared of going down to sense 25. You know, no problem. But obviously, like I said, it's a very long, very steep hill. Yeah, so it's getting on for like a hundred percent difference. And obviously, if we then we extrapolate that into any distance, I mean, because like the worst case scenario is not actually twenty-five minutes walking down. It's walking down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah falling up, winning it. Yeah. No, I have to be honest. Here, I, 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 I think. I mean, per, I'm not afraid to admit it, and I and I said this. Um, I don't know if I said it to you when we were out there with the camp, but I definitely said it to to Tim, one of the other coaches. I said, "Look, before we started descending, because I wanted to, I didn't want it to like weird people out." So I said, "Look, I'm not." Before we started descending, I said to her, "I'm not comfortable going down here because I know that I gather speed like nobody's business, and it's not it's not the speed or the cornering that freaks me out." is how hard and how often I have to brake. And I've popped a few tyres in my time and the front front tyre. It's probably because I used to pump my tyres up too much. But I've had a few blowouts on the front brake on descent. And I don't think I've ever quite recovered my confidence from that, if I'm honest, because if anybody's ever blown the front tyre and gone onto the rim, there's nothing going to make your pants brown or quicker than that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... You know that I can totally see that a lot of people would walk down it. So yeah, yeah, I missed it. There's a massive, massive input from you know, your confidence level. Um, yeah. Just because, yeah, it's 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 heavy braking. It's corners rushing up on you. It's it's there's so many so many opportunities to sort of panic and get it wrong. It sort of makes you know exacerbates the whole thing. And and yeah, it's all it's all about. It's all about being comfortable, confident with it. So, you know, uh, to, to translate that back to a kind of more sort of real world example, it's, it's yeah, you know, if you, if you know the course, if you know you can go around corners like that, at that speed on your tri bars comfortably, um, you know, you can, you can deal with that in, in a race situation and, and know that you're performing quite well versus not really knowing or getting a bit scared or panicking or whatever. And then, yeah, I guess two things which jump out of that. First of all, I imagine that the maximum speeds, maybe the fastest and the slowest, are significantly different. But in the app, like that person is going a few minutes faster, the maximum speeds are probably not too dissimilar, but it's the minimum speed which is the bit which is vastly different. So it's that significant slowing down and then overly slowing down into the corner and, and um, and kind of when it happens so kind of breaking later having that confidence to break later and then kind of going around so it's sort of that minimum bit which is probably the difference and if you bring that back out to what Alan you said at the very very beginning which was 
in short, getting from the swim to the run as quickly as you possibly can. We've got to remember that with triathletes, we still have a run to do at the end of it. So if you're if you're losing time in the corners um, and then you have to overly accelerate coming out of them or you are slowing down ever so slightly um, in not even significant corners like hairpins on the out, but I'm talking about a roundabout or a dead turn uh, in an event or uh, dead turns would be a bit unfair, but even just coming to a junction in a simple 90 degree turn, all at those points, you're then having to re-accelerate to get the speed back up again. And that's going to wear you down when it comes to the run. So it's also about thinking about the impact on, I guess, you as a as a pilot, um, the engine of the bike in terms of getting it ready for the, the say, for the next part of the event as well. So like, I, that's just made me think about something as well with regards to all this bike handling is actually having the appropriate bike. Like I've seen, I've seen some really bad advice given where I know that an athlete is like a novice rider and they've been told you need to get a time trial bike and you should get these deep section wheels and you should get a disc and you should get an aero helmet, you should do all of this. And then the person's going to look at it and go, what the hell do I do with that? Or they, they, you know, they're still missing all of the basic stuff that we've spoken about. And because it's, a, because it's so foreign to them and so unfamiliar, then they're not going to go in the aero bars that much. And when it gets to the corner, the difference in the controls and the, you know everything all being different, they're not. It's going to decrease the minimum speed that you just spoke about, Philip. So it's about having and this really, really common, with, and it's going to come up over and over again in everything that we're going to discuss, is within cycling there's a real tendency to look at things in isolation. So like the the favourite one is like the drinks bottles that are on in terms of aerodynamics when. It's lovely and aerodynamic when it's stuck in the cage, but when you go to take it out of the cage, you can't get it out and it's really fidgety to get back in. Or you have to come out of your aero bars and sit bolt upright and to grab it every time you want to drink, which is next to chuffing useless in terms of the overall picture. So like I think trying to think about, yeah, that bike's really aero, but I can't go around the corner on it and all sorts of other things is super important. There's also, I think, with, um, and I don't want to slate the, the bikes and the top level bikes, because at the end of the day, if, if you've got one, you're happy with it and you're comfortable on it, then ride it. Why not? But um, I always go back to what um, uh, Coach Trevor used to say when he was um, surfing, he got a brand new surfboard. The first thing he'd do is go take a screwdriver and smash it through the middle of the surfboard, repair it. And that way that nicks done. So he's not being precious about that bike. And I think with a lot of people, when they get a really nice bike, uh, admittedly he can repair those sort of things he's, he's got, when they have a really nice bike almost they're scared of riding the bike hard because of the fact it's a really nice bike and they almost need to go the other way and just get used to ragging the bike around and getting you know every single corner pushing into it and, it, and the bike not being the thing they're worried about um, kind of pushing the limits on because it's not that it's not that good for them it's just that they've got they're not focusing on the fact, oh my God, it's a 10,000 pound bike and it's really slippy and really aero and it's so fast and everything else. It's just, you know, it's just a bike. It is literally just a bike. And it, I mean, bikes were initially fun as, you know, as a kid. It was, it was fun to Philip, you're going to have to stop swearing gas by saying it's just a bike. We're all offended by that. And I feel completely okay <laughs> with speaking with Kevin and Will. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I get the point though. And it is quite valid. In some, some degree, I would assume. 
race wheels are another example then it's just race wheels. <laughs> but if you've got um, you know you go from your winter bike and then you go put on some super deep rim race wheels and suddenly your ability to corner and control is inhibited because you're not used to the wind catching the front wheel uh, on a descent say or you're not comfortable with that new feel of it you actually you need to pick your lines a little bit more carefully as well and, and suddenly it's just it, that handling's a bit different and you're worrying almost i've got my race wheels on they're slippier you know they're less robust oh, and everything else and that isn't necessarily true but that you're thinking race wheels um and you need to overcome that and as alan said getting the that person who's coming into triathlon quite early on giving them the yeah. super top end stuff is, is probably not the right call for them to develop as a really good athlete well no and a part of the thing with that and a common really common answer that i know we've all heard in terms of working with athletes is oh i can't go out on my rice bike because it's raining <laughs> like yeah. clean the blooming thing you know you've got a sponge get on with it like it's not difficult i mean it's never gonna like which kind of agrees with your initial point about sticking a screwdriver through it but it, but you know, I wouldn't advise that with a carbon fiber bike, no. and the or, or anything really. Uh, um, <laughs> the and so like actually, one of the really important things is the familiarity with just doing the basic things, changing the tire, cleaning it, ch- uh, changing the wheels over, uh, and it's you can like yeah, you might not it might not be appropriate to go out on race wheels all the time because of the wind, like it just might not be suitable. And quite often, you know, people have got carbon fiber wheels or whatever. It's just like changing things around. And, and, you know, that's kind of a a bit of a higher level. But even at the, you know, the road bike end of things, people might be taking on and off clip-on aero bars or they might have a second set of wheels that have got a slightly better or they want to put on a slightly better pair of tires or they're doing a hilly race and they need to put on a different cassette or they just need to check the brakes are working and... Because actually, that's like silly little things. We talk about riding the bike fast and going around corners. Actually, having the bike as it well set up for the event is super important as well. So, if your brakes are a bit slack or they don't work really, really well, or you're not very confident in them, guess guess what's going to happen to that minimum speed in the corners or the dis- the, the braking distance? You're going to start slowing down miles before and waste lots of time that you could have spent at speed. So. I mean, I'm sure Will could quote us on lots of numbers about, you know, the difference between uh, a chain covered in mud to uh, a nice wax chain and all of this sort of stuff. But just actually cleaning the thing makes a blooming great big difference as well. Yeah, definitely. And all that comes back to, yeah, it's like stole it from my mouth. Go for it, Will, sorry. No, that's just what I was going to say, like, making sure your bike's well serviced, you're going to be confident it's going to do the job and, yeah, add to speed hopefully definitely so i mean we, we've spoken a lot about stuff which i guess is sort of free speed you know just riding riding a bike effectively not slowing down at corners and things like that because you don't feel if, that you, if need you don't to. need to it's yeah, very important to, to add that yeah you should slow down at corners um, <laughs> if you need to will <laughs> <laughs> um, that's that's unfair um so so uh, if, if, I guess the other bit people focus on really is that training aspect. You know, I, I want to get fast. And you know, we mentioned uh, indoor training. We mentioned uh, hills. We mentioned in the same sort of circuit. Um, but ultimately, there does need to come a little bit of the hard work as well. Um, because a lot of the stuff we spoke about is actually very straightforward. 
um, you could go and spend an hour just doing trying to practice doing bunny hops or trying to go around in some cones in a car park and you're going to get faster probably gain more speed than if you were to spend the same amount of time doing doing intervals um because it's sort of it's free um but yeah let's talk a little bit more around that sort of uh, physiology i guess and the, the the engine of the bike which is the rider so um how are we gonna what are the sort of top tips and trying to get people faster on the bike we look at the rider uh go on then um I guess fundamentally it's just preparing and tailoring the training towards the demands of the, the event. So the training for a sprint distance may be very different to training for an Ironman um, as a very sort of general statement. If Alan wants to well, go on that, that, I, that, that, that's like, that's something that I wanted to mention right at the start of the call, but I left a bit was we haven't even mentioned whether the event's draft legal or draft illegal, but anyway, there's no such thing as a draft illegal triathlon anyway. We all know drafting's completely feasible unless you're doing, um, uh, well, uh, pretty much. I think uh, it's just challenge events where it's 20 metres. Uh, Not even all of them, but yeah. Yeah, so I think it's like Samarin and Daytona are the two events that put that rule into place. And, and you've got to be a pro to be doing that anyway. So as an age group athlete, some degree of drafting is possible at every event. Um, Just to explain that, Alan, do you want to kind of... Well, <laughs> before I, it basically sounds like you can draft every race. Well, no, I just thought I'd leave can, that yeah. there and let the internet explode with fury. Yeah. Um, but the... No, so there's, it's been proven that there's a benefit back to, I think it's like 12 or 13 metres, and that's just with two riders. But And if you put more riders into the line, then... The benefits going to the benefits going to increase. So if you're five riders back and everybody's riding legally, and like there's obviously various drafting drafting um, laws that go from uh, seven meters or you know various different distances for various different events, then there's always going to be some sort of marginal benefit, and you're allowed to pass riders. So obviously, as a faster rider, you you know you're definitely going to ride up within the um, within the wake of other riders and get some sort of benefit. This that's always going to be there. So yeah, that's that's all I'm saying. No, that's fine. I, I knew that's what you were saying. I just felt it'd be, it'd be worth. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I just I just I don't know. I just like being disruptive with that comment because I actually I think I think I think it's um. I think it's important to take advantage of it. One of the fastest ways to to ride your bike faster is to use others. Right, and if you're doing draft legal, you should be using others as much as you can. The fastest rider is often the one with the most cunning. I remember, so like, um, yeah, one of the one of the junior riders that yeah, I used to work with in terms of like uh, just uh, going out and coaching on rides was we did a crit base at Odd Down and. And anybody who knows that circuit, it's kind of like a big loop and then it's got a, a loop that comes in. So it's kind of a hairpin here and a hairpin there. And there's the straight bit up the hill was into the wind, which is where the finish line is. Every single lap on that section uphill into the headwind, he was not on the front. Every single lap on the downhill with the tailwind, he was on the front. So he was doing his turns all the time with the biggest ease. If, essentially, he was just the one who wasn't breaking on the downhill. And he was making everybody else do the work. And then as soon as, you know, he left it late on the sprint because it was into a headwind and he 
You know, he was only on the front up that hill once, and it was when he won. So it's just it's being observant of your surroundings as well, and um, make making a lot of use. But I guess that's not really the physiology sort of side that we we are sort of looking at. So I wandered back into thinking again, but there's so much more to that than there is, because you know everybody knows you like where is it? Oh, it's in the drawer. You know, Garmin. It just tells you what to do, and in terms of pushing down on the hard on the pedals, and it's 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 super simple. It's not, you know, it doesn't take any rocket science. But the problem is, people focus on that so much, they they miss the they miss the vast majority information of uh, information, which can actually make a far more, you know, a far more dis not maybe not significant, but a far more decisive difference in between, you know, one rider and the next. Because ultimately cycling is reasonably straightforward. You know, it's either you move your legs faster and or you push down harder and ultimately you're going to be more powerful. Um, now, power kind of correlates with speed and we can definitely touch on some aerodynamics um, in a little bit. But I mean, ultimately, um, if you are wanting to get faster, um, you are going to need to generate a little bit more power on the bike. And I think one of the, the big things I've seen with athletes is is really understanding how hard hard is because they have numbers and everything else. And I mean, I, I love setting out people and doing sort of a two or three sort of back-to-back 10-mile time trials because they're fairly brutal. Um, and they suddenly realize, oh, there's a, there's a person ahead of me. I can try and catch them and all oh, I can go here. And, and suddenly you see a rider who's not really known where that limit was about how hard is hard. And they just suddenly start realizing, well, actually, I can go a little bit harder. This is what really hard feels like. And, and being able to learn, I mean, I, know, I think, Alan, you coined sort of learning how to suffer. And um, I quite like having that sort of conversation sometimes with athletes around, do you, do you actually know how to really push on the bike and, and really, really dig in deep? And I don't think necessarily often people do. And it's, it's a really, really important learning bit. Yeah, and it's interesting, like, comparing training to racing, and you might see people being able to hit their target powers for certain intervals while in training um, and then put them into a race scenario, and it just doesn't happen for whatever reason. And that's where, like, time trialing as sort of training for triathlon is quite useful in that you are, yeah, in a time trial, you're pretty much going to exhaustion, and it's a maximal effort if done right. So it's then learning to do that and then sort of scale it back into sort of triathlon when you need to run off the back, unless you're a particularly brutal coach and make the person suffer. And then mm. when they get back to HQ, put their trainers on and have everyone well, that, that, like, what are you doing? <laughs> that, well, yeah, that's the situation in a triathlon where somebody's very insistent that their bike split is very, very important. So you go, okay, max it and then oh, see yeah. how you go on the run. And then we agree that, you know, my way was better but anyway the like so time trialing is another one of those things where until you go and do one you don't realize how quickly people can go and you don't realize it's just gaining that awareness and uh, it doesn't matter where you are on this spectrum to having just picked up your first road bike and riding it in trainers to being somebody who's going into a wind tunnel which is probably at the you know the thing that's at the other end of the spectrum but you can always learn from looking at the person who's that little bit in front of you and going into these different environments to pick up on people can be really useful. But going back to the thing about pushing down harder on the pedals or going faster, it's also trying to explore the ranges of cadence as well as 
as well as the talk side of things. So like on the talk side of things, I think like I'll leave strength and conditioning to you, Will, if you want. But like on the cadence side of things, it's also a really good rider has a really wide um, cadence range. So they can ride at 30 or 40 RPM. And, you know, they're, they're able to, you know, that's not something you're going to go to straight away until you're conditioned to do it. But they are capable of doing it. But also at the other end of the spectrum, and people might think this number is crazy, but they can get to 250 RPM. That's the, but everybody's on about sweating between 90 and 92 RPM. And that's not really any different. So in training, it's, you know, trying to stretch those ranges because when you're out on the road, there's definitely going to be points where you changing gear is going to slow you down more than changing your cadence. So being able to have a range to your cadence is important. So, and obviously, like, if you, if you were to go and compete in a road race, you need to be rolling along, rolling along in the draft, and then you need to snap really quick to go to a really high power. And to do that, you need to be able to generate a huge amount of torque. And then at the end of the sprint, because you, you're not going to change gear mid-sprint, you need to be going at 130, 140 RPM, spinning the gear out as much as you can. And then, so that's a really good example, because in order to do that optimally, to reach your peak speed to win and hold your peak speed for a long timing is everything in terms of when to sprint, but also picking the right gear. I mean, I've gone back to how to ride a bike again, but I tried to stay with cadence a little bit. Sorry. Over to you, Will. Um, I think Philip may be better touching on the S&C stuff compared to me. Probably got a bit more knowledge and that sort of side of things. Um, well, I can sum it up if you want. Squats mean what? Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, yeah. The power equation is really ultimately quite straightforward it's force times cadence average effective pedal force multiplied by the um uh, circumference pedal velocity if you're going to be specific but that's ultimately the only two variables that you have you have to move your legs faster or you have to be more uh, more stronger and if you do the, both of those two things you are going to get faster so um anything you can do to improve those two the only two variables you have around increasing your power um the better and yes you can start looking at pedal mechanics and yes you can start looking at um oval chain rings and everything else but it, it's one of those two things it is as simple as that it's get stronger or get faster in the legs um and and, and training training that and we talked about time trials hill reps you know great great way of generating more force because you have to um lower cadence work i think going back to the point around um riding with others is probably the really good point here um, learning where those limits are is possible when you have other people. And I think that's where in, indoor trainers, which are linked up and gamified, a little, little bit like your Ruby, your Zwift, your, um, uh, I can't remember what the other ones are called, but you know those sort of uh, environments where you can see other people suddenly starts making you question what's actually pos possible. Um, and to a certain degree, Strava has been doing that as well with having segments. We're like, oh, actually, I rode this and I was the, 35th person in my local area who was able to go along that segment and or oh, I might try and see if I can go a little bit faster so already we're starting to see those sort of um, I guess slight nuances around cycling and essentially racing um, offering a way of starting to see how you can get faster by showing you where those limits limits are it does by the way also mean I'm not endorsing going out there and 
smashing out everything so you're training you know everything's a race because i don't think that's useful um but at the same time pick and choose your, your battles and you're going to see some improvements in your performance so that's that's kind of like what we have on the camp where we're like you know you'll get you'll get that first ride when everybody's mega enthusiastic and they're nudging and nudging and like everybody's kind of sizing each other up because you know that's that's what happens and without taking ourselves too seriously like everybody's a bit competitive and everybody wants to have fun and that's part of the fun but then as coaches i mean between us how many times have we said okay guys like we can we can do that all week and we'll fry ourselves or we can have a nice time and have a chat but i tell you what when when i say go you can go absolute hell for leather flat stick but until i say that don't do it and i think that's important in your training yeah, is yeah. to have that mindset of being, you know, if you are going to do it, do it. Full gas. Send it. Yeah, it's just coming into knowing what the aims of each sessions are and if you've got a group ride planned, is it to go out and get some endurance miles in, building that aerobic base, or is it to go out with a bunch of friends and tear each other's legs off? It's probably not that, but more cases than not it does end up being that so it's just come back to knowing being aware of what you're trying to achieve from each session and sort of being disciplined enough to stick to it if your uh, friends do start um nudging it a bit uh, yeah it's been nothing wrong with just being of... sitting up and letting them have their fun and you being the sort of uh the professional will is what you're looking for yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. i was about to say it's about setting maturity isn't it it's about being able to know when uh when you can go when you should go and the implications of it i mean i think there's also an element of well it was really good fun and <laughs> yeah the reason people come into sport is because they enjoy movement and they enjoy uh slightly competitive side of things and you know there's definitely a time and a place you say yeah i did do that it wasn't on plan but it was really good fun and we had a great, you know, we had a great time yeah. and I enjoyed it with lads and it was, it was good. And uh, good. Philip got beaten by Emma again or whatever else it might be. But um, can I go back to the strength stuff? Cause yeah. I think the context is important with that as well. And like, there's that kind of jokey expression in terms of squats. I mean, it was, but I think, and obviously I'm going to make some assumptions that your basic conditioning is really good and like you know how you've been taught how to lift properly and you know you, you've gone through a sensible logical progression to this point but in terms of the actual weights that people lift the athletes that I've come across like as in age groupers so and this is kind of both genders it'd be like regardless of ability as well because it'd be squatting say like 10 20 30 kilos and i know full well that numbers around at least one to two times your body weight in terms of what you're squatting is what the numbers are and if we were to go and start looking at track cyclists or sprint or sprinter sprint cyclists obviously it's a little bit different in terms of what discipline of cycling you're doing but the weights that track cyclists are lifting, you're talking like, God, must be three times their body weight, maybe. It's huge numbers. So if everybody takes their body weight now and thinks and does the math three times me, what is that? Well, it's quite a lot for me at the moment. So um, I, I do usually use that too as a, a guideline for, yeah. for athletes that they're looking at trying to improve. Kind of, if, if they can get to two, then we know that we kind of built the strength. 
yeah and it does in terms of that force part of pedaling it does have a big uh, quite a big impact but then there's also you you need the timing of the pedaling and and doing that correctly is quite important because it's all well and good being able to lift a load of weight in the gym but if you can't then apply it to the pedals you're not going to go anywhere and i've various like other coaches and stuff that i've worked with over the years who have like worked with cyclists like professional cyclists and they've just turned around and you know the coach has been like, oh, you know, what's the thing with pedaling and blah, blah, blah. And they've just been like, just push down harder. Ultimately, that's really what it comes down to. I mean, there's more nuance into pedaling technique and that it can, it can make quite a big, quite a big difference. But that's, you know, if you, if you ride, so going back to what you said earlier, if you're able to ride rollers and not fall off and you can pedal smoothly, what, what pedaling smoothly is, is a bigger debate, but the smoothness is that if you're really jerky, you're going to fall off the rollers. Is is what I mean by that. So you got you got as much weight as you can lift. You've got to be able to put it into the pedals. So if we um, if we take that a little bit further, then as well, it's not just about lifting it but being stable. And um, I like to touch a little bit onto aerodynamics because um, the other part of that um, we've sort of talked about not slowing down, uh, getting that free speed. We've spoken about building up that nice engine. Um, the other part of it is also well, actually two of the other big resistances are drag of your tires uh, or coefficient of drag on the uh, on the road essentially and then aerodynamics and the road one isn't going to be a huge number and you can change it a little bit by gear but ultimately that that is not the bit where a lot of people focus on it's it's mainly aerodynamics and i mean how much difference does a does, does the aerodynamics of a bike really make Oh, the bike. You phrased, so that, you phrased that deliberately, haven't you? I have. Yeah. <laughs> it's not well. You can run into that wall. Well, yeah. It's not really the bike that makes much of a difference. It's you sat on the bike that makes up the majority of the drag. So, so in terms of things to look for to gain aerodynamics, a bit of an odd term, but get more aerodynamics. Improve your yeah. aerodynamics. Yeah. Um, so you're looking at sort of like the clothing you're wearing. Um, how it fits as well, um, helmets, body position. So if we're looking for comparing like sat up on a road bike compared to the most aggressive TT position you think of, um, like overshoes, even like socks, uh, although triathletes don't wear socks. Um, so yeah. They wear calf guards. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're just some sort of things to think about. So in terms of like, riding a road bike we start at sort of that bottom level and sort of work our way up um first thing you can do to make yourself more aerodynamic is rather than you've got different positions to hold onto the handlebars the most common being on the hoods um to make yourself more aerodynamic is literally just bend your arms at 90 degrees getting low over the front can't really alan stood up so you can probably demonstrate this better here we go so like that like that yeah bend your so elbows 90 degrees there we go so you're just reducing your frontal area there also you could also hold on to the drops um and also bending your elbows um but i think even sort of just like on the tops getting bending that 90 degrees is a good position and then the next step from there is to add some clip-on road uh aero bars to your road bike as like the sort of next step um, before then potentially thinking about trans and mastering riding on clip-on bars 
before then potentially thinking about um, venturing down the TT bike route. Um, so yeah, I've just covered a few things just from around bikes. How do you want to take it from there? Yeah, sure. I think like in terms in terms of error, it's also just thinking about like where on a course is you know it's good to be aero. So obviously, in terms of resistance, it's not a linear response. So as you get faster and faster, things things change, and obviously, you know, until you uh, until you hit the sound barrier, which is pretty unlikely to happen on a bicycle. Um, at least you hope it wouldn't. Um, so obviously, when you're going faster, aerodynamics becomes more important in a, in a way because the the resistance is getting harder and harder. Um, but it's not true that aerodynamics is not important to a slower rider because although the effect is smaller with a slower rider, they're out on the course for longer. So the, the sum of the situation is effectively the same. Um, um, so I, I was watching a, a video the other week on like guys were doing aero testing on, a, um, on gravel bikes with panniers. And it, the, the numbers were crazy and it kind of messed with your head. So they were trying to put it, the wattage savings were, were different. But anyway, the, so don't, I think that's important not to make that assumption because just because you're potentially a slower rider for, for whatever reason, aerodynamics are still important to you. Important to you. Um, and there's, there's small things that you can do, even just by, being aware of the fact that it, it makes a difference. You can put some really simple things into place just in terms of the decisions you make. But I think at, uh, at any level, it's, it's super important to understand that it's you and not the bike. There's a lot of marketing out there that tells you that it's the bike and it is the bike to some degree, but actually with the more and more nth degree of research that goes into the you know the professional end of things things start to trickle down towards us and i think one of the biggest things is just having like the front end of your bike set up really well so even if you are on a road bike you you can choose the handlebar width that you have and the stem length that you have and just when you do get a bike fit thinking about these things that are going to make that kind of difference um and I think it's really important that athletes are engaged in that kind of thing. They know how their bike's set up and they have a reasonable aware awareness of what's on their bike and how it might affect things. And then obviously when it goes to, to getting a time trial bike, you can, you can, it's, it starts to become a conversation of how to effectively spend your money. And you can spend 10,000 pounds on a bike quite easily these days. But you can spend that amount of money on it and realize that you can't get your hands and your arms into the right position to be aerodynamic or your head into the right position. So having adjustability in terms of the front end is, is really important. And then like a really silly thing is if you're not comfortable on your saddle, you ain't going to sit still. And actually, one of the most basic things in aerodynamics is just sitting still. You see people riding along on a TT bike and it looks like they're on a bouncy castle. And actually, if you want, like, I don't know, I've gone on a meandering tour here, but in order for air to flow smoothly over a, an object to be aerodynamic, 
sitting, you just need to be still. Like bobbling all over the place is just going to make the air detach off you all the time and create a lot of turbulent airflow, which is going to slow you down. Um, yeah, maybe you touch on pull that, pull that apart, somebody. To touch, to touch on that bit as well, it's like it comes sort of links into the first point where we were talking about free speed. Um, it's also just like conditioning and mobility and working on those side of things to be able to hold better aerodynamic position on the bike. Yeah. Um, essentially, you, you want to be rock solid with your upper body on the bike and your legs going like a dozen below the waist. Um, so like a good analogy is like watching a duck swim along a pond, their upper body looks nice and calm, not much going on, but below the surface of the water, their legs are going like mad to swim fast essentially. So that's what we've sort of what we want in um, yeah. well, any cycling really, not yeah. even trialing. And the con the contact points, so like the saddle, like I say, can make a mega difference. Like the pedals can make a mega difference as well. So in terms of how stable you feel in the saddle, so even like you're having the right cleats and having the right amount of float and having the right shoes that fit you. So like often people might go for the shoe that they want, but that doesn't fit them very well. Like if you've got wide feet, particularly, it can be really difficult. So like city shoes are generally quite good for people with narrow feet and bond shoes are good for people with wide feet, for example. And it's just knowing those kind of things and picking the right kind of thing that's going to work for you. Like saddles is a huge black hole because it's so dependent on riding in the right position, but also it's not just the saddle, it's what you're wearing. So it's the size of the pad and the position and shape of the pad that can make a difference. It's the combination of two in conjunction with your physiology that are gonna make it comfortable. It's not like there's not, there's not a magic saddle out there that's suddenly gonna become immeasurably comfortable. It, it just doesn't exist. And then the other contact point is obviously the handlebars. So on a road bike, that's kind of the width it gets difficult with clip-ons on a road bike because you end up real stretched out and that's just because of the geometry of the frame and that's a compromise. But there's a lot more to it in terms of time trial bikes and all sorts of very clever things that you can do with little adjustability to get your hands and arms and even the tilt of your arms into the right position. Um, so yeah, contact points is probably a good summary of. Yeah, I think so. I think. With the aerodynamics, it's very easy, and I know Alan, you've written a couple of great blogs recently on uh, on aerodynamics, and it's very easy to start getting quite um, <coughs> carried away. Isn't fair or right because it's not just about being carried away. You know, just getting looking at the numbers and seeing where you can make savings and make savings, and you can as long as you can hold that position. And that goes back to Will's point of being able to be flexible, mobile enough to be able to sustain it. But if, whatever position you find. If you're improving your coefficient of drag multiplied by the area by 0.1, which is actually quite a significant change, um, yeah. especially at the sharper ends, you know, if you can't hold that for the 180k in a bike ride, if you're doing that, or 40k if it's a, a standard distance trial, whatever that distance is, if you can't hold that, then you don't have that aerodynamic position. So thinking about things that you can do um, for, for a race, you know, is, is train the position. You know, you need to train the rider. Um, yes, once you've found that position, once you've got a comfortable position, that's good. But you need to be able to get used to it. So riding it not just on a turbo when you're doing intervals, but also out on the road, being able to actually steer it, stay in that position for as much as possible. Um, yeah. Going over different surfaces as well. It's, it's, more, it's, it's more than just a position. And I think aerodynamics, Alan, in your latest blog, you said it's dynamic. It, it changes. Yeah, that's what I wanted to pick up on there. So you, you kind of said, 
I don't know this isn't necessarily what you meant, but you're not going to be able to hold the position for the whole way. Nobody holds the position for the whole way. Like it, yeah. It's just like this complete load of waffle that we see written about in blogs and articles and magazines and podcasts and people waffling on forever about not being able to maintain a position. Nobody in the existence of humanity has held a position on a bicycle with the same CDA for the length of any time trial. It's just not even, it just doesn't exist. So what can we do, Will? Um, just touching on that point, if we use Daytona as an example, obviously it was like a pan flat 4K circuit or something like that. And there was a lot of talk on the coverage about holding position and people getting uncomfortable. And um, we kind of saw the short course athletes suffer um, and eventually some of them putting out or getting dropped from the front group. But in that instance, they're holding aero position, sort of being in the bars pretty much for the duration, maybe coming out for a split second to grab a bottle or just to stretch any aches and pains. Um, but they won't be holding their most optimal position for the duration of that 90K or hour and 40 minutes, I think it was for like the faster yeah. guys. So there'll be some element of like wind, there'll be a headwind, tailwind section. It comes to Alan's point where um, like where to, sorry, your point of like fast sections, slow sections and speed not being linear. Linearization. Um, so what you'll see typically is that into the slower sections, they'll be in the aero bars, but they'll be relaxed in their shoulders and sort of maybe head position. Um, and be, they'll be more focused on pushing the watts um, to keep speed high. But then when they come to the other side of the course where there's maybe a tailwind section, they may back off the power, but they're really optimizing their position and it's not comfortable. Um, but it's training yourself to be able to hold it for longer durations as you can, really. Um, so you're saying there's almost two aero positions there. You've got your your best possible value CDA thing, which you use when it's a headwind or wind speeds fast. And then you've got the more comfortable one, which you sustain, but obviously you can generate a little bit more power and everything. Is that, is that yeah, kind of yeah, what you're going exactly, there, well? yeah. Yeah, like, it comes into, that, again, to the yeah it comes to getting to from a to b as fast as possible um you don't stick at the same power to get from a to b and that's not that's not the fastest um solution and it's the same with like your position as well so it's knowing when to focus on what and when to focus on uh position um and when, and, when and also what i said earlier in terms of cadence like yeah. so basically every all of these myths that get battered on about let's find the perfect cadence let's find the perfect wattage let's find the perfect position all of it's rubbish so it comes back to training and um, training in that position and you can literally just structure it as an interval session as you would any other session so plonk a mirror in front of your turbo maybe even draw a line across it where you, your head want to be below that to be the most optimal position also a good point with the mirror you're actually having to look forward because it's all well and good holding your best position, but staring at your stem in real world, that's not the most well, safe. Right, Chris <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's not really the most optimal. Um, it's probably not the most safest either. So it's training, building up time in that most optimal position as you can. And like I say, you can just build that up over time as you would any sort of intervals. So you may start as like 30 seconds on, a couple of minutes off, and then just build it up to sort of like five minute blocks, I'd say. Yeah. In those, right. 
let me let me dive in quickly will the right. like so with all of this i might say it's all rubbish but the, the point i'm making is that you need to know all of this like you need to be aware and you need to engage because it's all variable so working this all out and being aware of it and taking ownership of it of the person on the bike you can then put it into practice but you know if you're not aware of this you can't put it into practice yeah very well summed up we we and I, actually i'm not going to say we could i know that we have in the past uh around dinner tables etc had very lengthy conversations around bike speed aerodynamics uh watt bombs and all sorts of um quite quite geeky uh, geeky conversations but i am going to pull uh things to slight close there um but before we all go and i want i hope kevin can still <laughs> Uh, join in. He's Talk. Sort of, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you can. You can hear him. Um, yeah. I, I guess how, how can the the kind of what kind of triathlete you know any old traffic or anyone listening to this what can they actually do about all this information about riding fast and a takeaway summary point really if we go around the table and sort of see I'll let you have more than one sentence, Alan, because I can see the face that you're putting. But yeah, I mean, Kevin, do you want to dive in? Sort of? Yeah, sure. Um... Yeah, apologies for not being that <laughs> that present for a lot of this. A few technical problems today. Um, yeah, I, I guess to pull out something that, you know, Will and I both said is, is just to practice in, in the position you're going to race in. Um, you know, it's it's get get used to that position, get familiar with it. Um, and, and maybe, you know, from a bike point of view, um, you know, Adam was saying you can buy 10,000 pound bike and it might not be for you i actually remember the first the first tt bike i bought i built myself and i think i got a frame for 250 quid off ebay and an, an adjustable stem and that was all i really needed the, the tt bike allows you to get the position and then the adjustable stem let me just sort of basically get more and more comfortable with a, a lower more aero position and, and able to practice in it um so I'd say they're the, they're the key things for me is, is, is yeah, practice and set yourself up so you can, you've got an opportunity to, to improve and, and, and play with it. You're on then, Will. Yeah, I sort of stole my words from my mouth. I was just going to say. Oh, sorry. Whatever, I finally your, on. <laughs> whatever your race setup is going to be, just ride it to death really and get really one at one with it. Um, there's no point in it sitting in your garage till couple of months before race time it's not really enough to get sort of dialed in um but yeah just take the points put them into practice and go from there go stick with what you got to begin with optimize that and then uh look to make upgrades if you feel you need fair enough adam what would you say I'd the takeaways I attempted to phrase it slightly differently, but I'll just go with learn how to play and be playful on your bicycle. Explore what it's, it's capable of. Take your Garmin, throw it in the bin for one ride only, maybe not in the bin, but just don't put it on. Don't put a heart rate monitor on. Don't do anything like that. Make sure you put your helmet on. That's always a good choice. And like a, a good example of what you could do is, is get a few mates together, put, take your drinks bottles out, Put them all down on grass because grass is a good idea because if anything does go wrong, then it's a bit softer and literally race them to the cone and back to the cone and back to the cone and back. Go around it as a right hand corner, go around it as a left hand corner. You can wear trainers if you want to, if you're a bit worried about clippings or, you know, make everybody wear trainers and literally just 
go and have a laugh with your mates and work out how to make your bike go faster. There's nothing like a bit of fun and a bit of play um, with some friends to, to help you to work out how to do it. So like that's my uh, my anti-indoor training status for today. <laughs> I, I love the idea of playing on the bike. I think it's um, more just yeah, like we, it's a great it's a great way to learn, isn't it? Yeah, like go go out at lunchtime. Like we're all working from home at the moment, pretty much, and then like take your bike out at lunchtime and try and do wheelies in the street, like skids, whatever, just bunny hops, like you said earlier, Philip. I do an endo. All those little things you did when you were a kid. Bet you can't do any of them. But, you know, we will we're, we're gratefully receive video submissions of your skills via all of our social media channels. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I think if I was to uh, summarise everything which people are saying here, it's the one word is familiarity. Familiarity with a bike, familiarity as in mechanics and how it works, familiarity with the um, uh, the course that you're racing, so you know what's happening there, the weather, familiarity with the bike position, what you sat on, and familiarity with racing and what that actually means to race. I think being familiar with your bike and what you're trying to do with it as a tool to, to get to the run is, is really, really key. Um, so I guess that word would be the buzzword for you. If, you. if you're wanting to get fast with the bike, faster on the bike, you need to be familiar. Um, my sort of summary. I don't know if anyone's got anything else, otherwise we'll, we'll wrap up just there. No? Um, perfect. Cool. Um, so a big thank you to um, Will and Kevin for joining us. Kevin, sorry you've sort of been frozen for most of it. Um, but uh, yeah, you've ensued through the technical uh, difficulties that you had. Thank you very much. And obviously, thank you to Alan, uh, who's uh, co hosted today again with me. And um, next week, I think we're exploring uh, women's specific uh, training and physiology. And we've got a guest uh, speaker uh, coming on for that one as well. So I look forward to. Uh, that one next month um, otherwise have a good evening go out and play around on your bikes and uh, yeah send us any videos if you do want to, um, to to look into that but thank you very much everyone have a good evening the believe strive achieve podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment and show notes are found at trytrainingharder.com Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Try Training Harder. Thanks for listening.